This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, you are coming live via phone this morning. That's right. I almost feel like there's a bit of a pause there in your response. I hope that doesn't carry through. Uh, I was planning on being in the studio this morning, but uh, my daughter got sick last night and and fatherhood calls. And, uh, you know, as they say, the show must go on. So let's get this done. You're, you're across right now between parenthood, Steve Martin, and... Um, Daddy Daycare Ice Cube. Yeah, basically. I'm not <laughs> sure what that cross looks like, but it's mine to bear. <laughs> it looks like Sinbad. <laughs> but who do we got on the show today, Adam? Matt, we have Rick Hugendorn on the show today, and I am super excited to have Rick on the program. He is a realtor in Victoria. He's also a developer in Victoria. But the reason we wanted to have him on is because, one, he's a fantastic impressionist. <laughs> that's that's yeah, kind of unbelievable. The, that's unbelievable. The, that's I'm one of the drivers. I'm working on my Arnold Schwarzenegger now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, he's actually an author. And that's hence why we're calling the program today, the episode, What's Stopping You from Achieving Your Real Estate Goals? And he wrote a fantastic book that can definitely be applied to everybody's real estate goals. Yeah. I mean, or goals in general. One of the exciting things about Rick is... Um, you know, we've been friends with Rick for a while. He's He's been in the real estate business for a very long time. He knows Victoria like the back of his hand. But one thing he's done over the last five, seven, ten years is he started to build and now is the owner of multiple 
uh, purpose-built rental complexes, which is an enormous feat unto itself. And I was talking to him about that. Like, how did you go from realtor to developer? And he mentioned his book, which I didn't even know he'd, he'd written, but his book basically is uh, walks through a process that Rick went through where he pulls back and looks at why he's having trouble executing on his hopes and dreams and what's stopping him. And I was like, man, Rick, we got to get you on the show. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. And really what I loved about this episode is that Rick brings step-by-step instructions on how you can actually use this method yourself. And I got to say, I've already been using it just this past week, and uh, it's it's super helpful. It's, it's, it's a totally different way of looking at motivation, and it's one that I think a lot of people are going to benefit from. Yeah, for sure. And watch for our first book. It's coming out soon. <laughs> but before we get to that, Matt, um, we've had lots of conversations with listeners about the market, and we just had the stats published for March 2019. And one of the reasons we want to talk about them is we, we did send them out to our database already. So if you are on the live wire list, you should have a copy of the stats they went out. Um, but let's yeah, talk and, about and that. Adam, Adam, we should, yeah, before we talk about them, we should say as well, we sent out the real estate board stats, uh, which everyone has access to. We also sent out uh, the sales ratios that we subscribe to that right. is uh, that just go out to people on our list. Uh, so if you're keen on on learning about kind of the, the layers of the onion and, and what's moving and what's not, that uh, snaps that sales ratio is going to be uh, that document is very important. But yeah, let's let's get into it here, Adam. Sure. Uh, what were your big takeaways? Well, you know what, my big takeaway basically it was uh, it was three things. So number one, sales volume is the lowest it has been since Expo nineteen eighty six. Okay, so that that's crazy. So the sales volume, the number of sales that were transacted in what is usually a very busy month of real estate was the lowest in more than 30 years. Yeah. So what that means for me, for our number one point is it is a very, very soft market out there, which means that your strategy as a seller or a buyer, depending on what you are in this market, changes dramatically or potentially you're both, right? But regardless, strategy changes. If you want to talk about strategy in a market like this, get in touch. We can definitely help you with that. So that's point number one. Point number two, Matt, let's talk about the benchmark prices and kind of more of the higher price points in the market. Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting point about uh, the market when you're looking at uh, the stats more broadly. Uh, you can clearly see a lot of the policies um, have kicked in. We've known they've they've really had an impact here, but I think we're getting to that stage where you know the market is basically grinded to a halt here. Um, with the stress test, the foreign buyers tax, the BC speculation tax, uh, all these things are having major impacts and they are impacting disproportionately the, the higher end of the market. If you look at the, the residential composite uh, stats based on areas, you really see the areas that are most hurt are uh, sub areas that have the highest price points. So if you look at Bank, uh, West Vancouver, for instance, if you look, take condos, townhomes, single family homes, the benchmark price in West Vancouver is 2.2 million right now at well, 2.2 and change. In the last year, that market has dropped 16.7% based on these stats. Also Vancouver West, for instance, where the exact same, you take all property types, it's 1.24 as the benchmark price. 
You look uh, in the last year, that market's down just over 10%. But then if you look at, at markets that are much more local, where the price points are are significantly less, um, you know, you see a different story. So if you're looking at, say, Pitt Meadows, for instance, where the benchmark price is 750K, that market's only 3.6% down in the last year. Uh, and, and arguably, that's a very uh, local market. Port Moody, where the, the benchmark price is just over 900K, is, is 5.4%. So, you know, when you contrast that to West Van, where you're seeing 17% uh, drops, um, it's really a tale of two markets here. Uh, and just another point to that, Matt, and I mean, this kind of echoes what you're saying, but we are seeing a lot of activity in the local market and primarily in the in the entry level price points of each market. And we see that pr- really uh, illustrated when we look at sales ratios, right? Yeah, I mean, it's basically the the lower end of each market that's that's doing quite well. No market, I think, illustrates this quite like the west side of Vancouver detached, where if, if we're talking about the low end of that market, we're thinking 2 million to 2.25. Well, if you're looking at, at the sales ratios at that price point, it's at 64%. So that's close, you know, six and a, between six and seven houses of every 10 on the market are selling. You move up, say, 500K to 2.75 to 3 million, it's 11%. One out of every 10 homes is selling. Wow. Um, so we've said it before on the podcast, and it's worth repeating again. The market is definitely the layers of the onion here where you have to peel back, and each market and each subsection of each market is, is, uh, is quite different. But overall, I'd say uh, it's uh, it's hard not to say this was a pretty bleak month for the real estate market. For sure. And our, our third and final point, I just want to talk about who is really going to stand to win in this type of a market. And really, uh, you know, we have this conversation with people all the time. But if you are climbing the market in a, a market like today where, where prices are falling, that's where you're really going to benefit. If you're selling something that's a lower priced asset and you're going up into something that's a higher priced asset, you're going to do better on the sale of your home and you'll be able to carve out a better deal on typically on what you're buying at the higher price point. And, and yeah, two points to that, Adam. I mean, one is that the the larger the asset, the, the more in a declining market, the more money you're actually losing, right? If the market goes down across the board 10%, well, ten percent of a million dollars is is a lot more money than ten percent of five hundred thousand, for of course, instance. Of course, but uh, but another another stat that really backs up this point that it's a great time to be moving up in the market. If you look at say the east side of Vancouver, condos over the last year are down five point two percent. Houses are down ten point five percent. So if if you're in a in a two bedroom condo thinking about making that jump to a single family house, for instance. Uh, you can bet that you're going to get a better price on the buy side uh, and and a better price on the sell side, and, and it's an opportune moment for you. Well, Matt, maybe we'll leave it there, but why don't we cut to our interview with Rick Hugendorn? Yeah, now now for something entirely different. This is a great conversation. Rick is a is a really a really fascinating guy, and I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Rick Hugendorn, Victoria Realtor and Developer. How are you doing, Rick? Very well. How are you? Doing well, thanks. And thanks for uh, taking the time. 
My pleasure. Yeah, Rick, maybe we'll start, um, if we can, by having you just tell us and uh, our listeners a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, I, as mentioned, a realtor and developer in Victoria. Um, I uh, actually grew up in and around Vancouver. Um, and, uh, and my first career was actually in the broadcasting field. Uh, I went to BCIT, took broadcast journalism, worked at CKVU uh, TV back in the 80s as a researcher and reporter and uh, had a stint as a producer for a bit there, too. Um, and then uh, I, I buggered off to Europe and I traveled around Europe for about a year and a half, taught English in Barcelona, Spain, um, and then came back to, uh, uh, to Canada and uh, got into the financial services field, uh, moved to Victoria uh, worked in that uh, financial planning field uh, mostly in the 90s uh, and then read, read the Rich Dad, Poor Dad books. And right. uh, that kind of turned our, our heads around um, with regard to uh, real estate, started buying a few properties. And, uh, and then my spouse, Sherry, uh, went a little nuts with that. Um, and uh, <laughs> um, we got to the point where we really couldn't tell our clients to buy mutual funds while we were buying condos and houses. So uh, to be congruent, we both became realtors. And, uh, and then over time, uh, about five years ago, we had the opportunity to, to uh, start developing as well. And um, so we're now uh, developing apartment buildings as well. Yeah, one, one thing that strikes uh, or struck me uh, when I met you a while back, Rick, is that, that you're a guy that has achieved a considerable amount. And, uh, and you've also written a book, which we, we want to talk about. But just before we get there... Um, I, I'm always curious about people that started off in in a field that's very different from the one they ended up in, and and journalism to financial services seems like uh, a a bit of a gap. What did something go sideways in journalism? What 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 happened with the change? Yeah, I I um I loved a lot of the aspects about journalism, but there were certain things that that were kind of soul destroying in a way. You know, you're dealing with the, with the with the kind of the bad stuff that's going on. You know, chasing right. ambulances and and doing that and and knocking on the doors of uh, people who've had bad things happen to them and say, you know, how do you feel? Um, and that sort of stuff kind of kind of uh, ground me down, and I I just didn't want to do it anymore. I was much more interested in doing like longer, more in depth documentary kind of stuff. Right. Um, and the daily news grind just uh, uh, wasn't a match for me anymore. And Rick, maybe moving on to when you got into real estate. So clearly, you read Rich Dad Poor Dad, but why real estate? Like, what do you what do you love about real estate, and why did you decide to kind of d- dedicate your career to it? Well, it, we kind of we kind of fell into it in a way. My my spouse Sherry Krause is a, a realtor as well, and um, she and a friend used to spend their weekends hanging out and going to open houses. And um, at that point, we were renting. And, uh, and one day after months and months and months of, of them going to open houses, she came across a, a condo that she actually thought, I want to buy this. Um, and uh, it was a place that she thought would be great for her parents. So uh, she came back, um, talked about it with me, and we said, yeah, okay, let's, let's uh, put in an offer. So that ended up being our first kind of investment property. And, uh, um, and we still own that particular condo today. Um, and, and did you buy uh, that before your, did, sorry, Rick, but did you buy that before your principal residence then? I did, yeah. Interesting. Okay, yeah. sorry to cut you off there. No, 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 
no, good clarifying question. Um, yeah, so we actually had a that particular investment property before I owned a principal residence. We were still renting at the time. Now Sherry had had in a previous life had um, had owned uh, her own home before I did not. And and then it just you kind of fell in love with investing in real estate and kept on going from there. Yeah, my dad had been a uh, uh, an investor. And uh, in my one of my favorite uh, regret stories, um, he had given me an option to go in with him on a property in in uh, kind of South Vancouver back in the early 80s uh, and said, hey, Rick, you know, I'll put up the money. You uh, deal with the tenants and cut the grass. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. And uh, so he profited from that particular investment uh, in a way that uh, would have changed my life at the time. So real genius move by me. Um <laughs> I, I've I've turned down a lot of opportunities because of grass cutting myself, so I can yeah. I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and how did Victoria come into the picture? You were in Vancouver, and at what point were you were you in financial services when you moved to Victoria, or were you is that where you started yeah. off as a real estate agent? I just taken a course, actually a, a kind of a real estate, um, uh, sorry, an insurance course in Vancouver, and then I had a, a friend at the time who invited me over to Victoria to uh, uh, to start up a business here, um, and so that's uh, that's the opportunity that I took. Moved over to Victoria about 1990-91, um, and then built up that business, um, and uh, uh, like I say, eventually um, moved into real estate after that. I, I think there were some interesting things that happened. Um, be, it's like you, as you go, you kind of learn and you get better and better at understanding the market and, and what's going on. Um, and I can remember telling people about stocks versus real estate back when I was a financial advisor. And I used to say, you know, here's the um, you know, long-term trend in the trend in the stock market. Here's the long-term trend for real estate as an asset class, and the stock market beat real estate as an asset class. And I would say, what would you rather have? So go into the stock market. And I was missing, of course, the whole issue of leverage. Right. You know, you put in a hundred thousand dollars into a mutual fund, goes up ten percent, you got ten grand. You put $100,000 into real estate, maybe you're buying a $500,000 house. If that goes up 10%, you got 50 grand. What would you rather have? So it's kind of a progression of understanding that's had me switch from, from financial planning to real estate. Awesome. So, so one of the things I was reading your book because we were talking about your book uh, a couple months back, and and you were gracious enough to send me a copy. What is stopping you breakthroughs using the work of Byron Katie? I, I'm uh, really interested in uh, what how how did you get to become an author? Okay, so I, I way back when I was. Um, you know, in my twenties and working and and at CKView and stuff like that, I was trying to write books. I remember the first book I tried to write was um, uh, the Bachelor's Guide to Success, and I was working on a Commodore sixty four computer, which probably predates you, gentlemen. Um, at that time, in order to tab on a Commodore sixty four, you kind of had to put in a code like seven nine six five um, uh, uh, shift, and I had i don't know about 80 pages of this book um 
uh, written at the oh, time, no. and I put in the wrong code and deleted the entire thing. Wow. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of genius maneuvers back from the early 80s. Then I worked on a screenplay with a friend of mine called Divine Wind, <laughs> which translates into um, uh, into Japanese as kamikaze, and it was about a, uh, a, a Japanese motorcycle rider um, who connects up with the, our idea was Sylvester Stallone, and uh, my friend who was from Japan was going to be the, you know, the other star in the movie kind of thing. Um, so we worked on that, on that Commodore 64 um, and I have various other iterations. And, and when I was is that, is that I, in, that's in the eighties or is that in the late eighties yeah, yeah. when you were doing was this? Was this pre or that. post Leisure Suit Larry? <laughs> Uh, I, I think that was, it, <laughs> it was before, um, uh, that Tom Cruise movie came out with Nicole Kidman, you know, it was right. kind of that kind of a movie. Um, <laughs> anyway, never, never got completed, but we got about 130 pages of that done. And, um, uh, then the next one was eternal magic, which I wrote on a, on a typewriter in Spain. Wow. Um, got about 120 pages of that. So what happened was I kept writing these books, but I never got them finished. And then I, I had this idea for another book called, you know, something like um, 18 holes to your goals. So it was like a, a using um, the golf motif as a success formula. You know, you have a target, you take your steps towards the target, you always get back on track, you know, get back on course, you adjust as you go, um, all that sort of stuff. And I had boxes of material and ideas for this book. And I worked on it for probably about seven or eight years. And and I got so frustrated because I never got it done that I put this question out into the universe. I went, what's going on? How is it possible I can want to write books and not be able to do it? What's going on? There must be something that's stopping me. And the answer that came back was, uh, you don't want to write books, Rick. And I went, huh? So what I did was I took out a piece of paper and I wrote down all the reasons why I actually didn't want to write books. Like, I don't want to be a, I don't want it to fail. I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to be criticized. I don't want the book to be criticized, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I took all those reasons to uh, an inquiry process called the work, where you just ask yourself, is it true? You know, I'm going to be criticized. Is it true? Can I absolutely know it's true? What happens when I believe that thought? Who would I be without it? And then you take that um, thought and you turn it around. So um, I look forward to being criticized. How's that true? Well, if I'm being criticized, I have the opportunity to actually get better at my craft for example. So what happened as a result of that is it was kind of like a brake pedal was happening on my writing. And within a, a couple of days, I had the rough draft for what is stopping you. And it's basic, basically what I saw was, it's not that we want to do things. It's not that we don't want to do things. It's that we want to and we don't. That's what's happening when we're stuck. And so for the, you know, if, if you're looking at the real estate um, aspect of things, a lot of people want to become real estate investors, but they also don't. And why don't they? Because they don't want to deal with tenants, for example. Well, it's hard to become a real estate investor if you've got a brake pedal on saying, I don't want to deal with tenants. Sorry, just to be clear, Rick, are these these things that, um, you know, I want to be a real estate investor, but I don't, um, are these 
is the idea that you're kind of it's like uh, subconsciously you're worried about yeah, tenants? Yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah, there a lot of a lot of times these um, beliefs that we have are in our blind spot. You know, they're not. We don't actually see them. You know, like if you talk to somebody about lose, like I just lost some weight, for example. Well, if you talk to somebody about losing weight and you say, well, you you have reasons why you don't want to lose weight, they'll look at you sideways. But in reality, we have reasons why we don't want to lose weight. You know, like I want to eat a chocolate bar, for example. And and um, I have reasons why I don't want to write books. I have reasons why I don't want to build apartment buildings. I mean, that was a huge one for me. You know, I had an opportunity to build apartment buildings and I just like I went completely into my head because I'd have to raise money. There's a potential that I'm going to lose money um, from investors. Um, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I had a whole list of reasons why I didn't want to do it. But I also had this process for checking out those beliefs. And as a result of that, we went ahead and now we have we're on to our fourth apartment building. Which is incredible. Is so just talking about the process. So can you maybe go into a little bit more detail on on this process of how you you kind of? Uh, it sounds to me like you uh, have an understand or a self conscious or, or so, sorry, I should say self awareness of your process and the pitfalls that. Uh, anyway, I'll let you speak to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, what might be helpful is if we work with one of you um, on something that you want to do and you're stuck. Adam's game. Um, I want to lose 15 pounds, Rick. Okay, so you want to lose 15 pounds. So in my parlance, it's it's like a gas pedal and a brake pedal, okay? When we're wanting to do something, then we just do it. When we don't want to do something, we don't do it. So I don't want to swim with snakes. So there's no way that you're going to get me into a swimming pool filled with snakes. So there's no question. But sometimes we want to and we don't. And then that's where we get stuck and we spin our wheels, right? So if you imagine a car with the gas pedal on and the brake pedal down, the wheels just spin. And that's exactly what happens in our minds. So if you want to lose 15 pounds and you're not, then what I would say is that there are reasons why you don't want to lose 15 pounds. So what could one of those reasons be? Uh, there are lots of chips in my house, <laughs> for one. Okay, so you want to eat chips. I you like eat eating chips. chips. Yep. Right. So How do you so feel about craft makes... beer? Yeah, I like to drink beer as well, Rick, occasionally. Okay, you like to drink beer. Okay, that's another reason. So you can imagine that you want to lose weight and you want to drink beer and eat chips. That's going to make it a little difficult. So then what you do is you say, I want to continue eating chips. Is it true? You want to continue eating chips. Is it true? It's true. Yes. And can you absolutely know it's true? You want to continue eating chips. Uh, I, I, I mean, I think I would prefer not to continue eating chips, but, um, okay. So uh, there's I, a I bit do, of a shift there maybe. Yeah. I, okay. I, for some reason I do continue to eat these chips though. Um, mostly because right. my wife will have chips around the house, uh, something along those lines. I will. It's a moment of weakness. Though. It's a moment of weakness. Yeah. Okay. But I, in, so in, what I don't picture my believe- better me eating chips though. Right. So here you are. You're wanting to lose 15 pounds. You're at home. Their chips are there. They're all over the house, right? And 
what happens when you believe the thought, I want to continue eating chips? Presumably you eat them. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're so therein lies the, yeah, so there you go. You know, so who would you be without the thought, I want to continue eating chips? Someone who maybe doesn't eat chips. So turn it around. I want to continue eating chips. I want to continue eating chips is the person, yeah. So I would be the guy. What's the turnaround to that? What's the opposite if I want to Oh, the opposite of that is uh, I don't want to continue eating chips. Right. So now this is the tricky part. What a lot of people do is they do these things called affirmations. And I think an affirmation is where you BS yourself. You know, like, I like myself, I like myself. And you're standing in the mirror going, I like myself, I like myself. And in your head, you're going, BS, BS, BS. Because who but somebody that didn't like themselves would have to stand in front of the mirror and convince themselves of that, yeah, right? Like it doesn't make Smalley. any sense. Yeah. Right. So, so what we're looking for when we look at the turnaround, I don't want to continue eating chips, is how is, is there a genuine reason for that being true? Not a BS reason, a genuine reason, I don't want to continue eating chips. Can you find that? A genuine reason, I, I don't want to continue eating chips. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I, I, uh, a genuine reason would be that I want to live longer in better shape and uh, not feel bad when I eat chips. Okay, so, so sit, you sit in that for a minute and you just be in, in that opposite, right? What's another reason a genuine reason why you don't want to continue eating chips because i like to occasionally take my shirt off at the pool okay there's another one and one more if you found two you can find three another genuine reason why you don't want to continue eating chips uh generally speaking i think i i feel better when i don't eat chips like uh my diet impacts how i feel in life lethargic you know that sort of thing right right so that's basically the process. And what you do is you go through every single reason why you don't want to do what you want to do. You blow them up. And at the end of the day, it's like the brake pedal starts to come off. Now, what's interesting is let's imagine for a second that your gas pedal's down and your brake pedal is, is down and the brake starts to come off. What happens to the car? It starts to move forward. Exactly. Now, do you have to push the gas pedal down more for it to move forward, or will it just do so naturally because it's already down? It does so naturally. Right. Because you're already motivated to do what you want to do. You don't have to goose yourself. And this is why motivational stuff often doesn't work, is because when our gas pedal is down and our brake pedal is down, and then we go to a Tony Robbins seminar to get more you know, gas pedal down, it, it might work a little bit to move forward for a couple of weeks, but you've got to keep motivating yourself to get to overcome the break. Well, what if we just took the break off? You don't have to have any motivation. Why would you have to motivate yourself to do what you want to do? Right. Right. Now, Rick, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to change positions here and lie on the couch, Okay. but let's talk about developing <laughs> real estate. And I'm going to try not to cry because uh, <laughs> that was actually profound. The chips thing was profound. But actually, let's do it from a – because I, I, I want to develop real estate. Okay. And, and you don't. I'd, and I don't, yeah. Because if you, if you did, if you did, you would be doing it. Right. 
just okay. so if we just before we get to finding out why Adam is not developing real estate and looking at his blind spots, is there a way? Like it, it, one question I have is if if there's a blind spot, it's kind of hard to get at all the all the reasons. But but that's just a matter of of sitting down and um, you know it's just a matter of sitting down and taking the time to think it through. And I know it it is a little bit um, uh, difficult mm-hmm. um, sometimes to 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 flesh that all out. Um, and I've had you know a fair bit of practice. Um, so for example, just going through the list in my book for why I didn't want to write books, you know, I had things like, it has to be perfect. Um, I don't want, uh, I don't know it will be perfect. It will be criticized. I'll be criticized. I can't guarantee that what I say will be right. I'm not a good writer. It needs to be a huge success. And I can't guarantee that I won't be able to handle the criticism. There's too much riding on it. There's no way it can live up to my expectations. There's no way it can live up to others' expectations. It'll take too much time and it'll have been a waste of time if it's not a huge success. So no wonder I wasn't writing books. Mm-hmm. And and no wonder you were writing 100 pages but not actually taking it to completion, right? Because a lot of that yeah. is totally right. weighted towards the final component. Yeah. Like it had to be perfect. Yeah. And I, I think that's that's definitely my way of thinking as well. Well, let's get to your to development perfect. problem. Well, no, let's let's not. Sorry, guys. If we cannot do development, I think something more useful for listeners might be I want to acquire maybe revenue properties because that's yeah, kind of more universal. Yeah, I want to sure. become a – let's do that one. Let's do that one. So, Rick, All I right. want to become a, a real estate investor. Okay, so let's look at the reasons why you don't. Okay, so first of all, I'm I'm – concerned about it's a, being over leveraged see how the direction is very simple like it's like you do or you, you don't and right. you're looking at the exact opposite of where you're you're facing right and the tendency is to want to goose yourself into becoming a real estate investor but you're not addressing the the, the drag mm-hmm. you're not addressing why you don't so why would somebody not want to become a real estate investor uh, potentially uh feeling over leveraged Okay, fear of debt. Sure. Um, definitely unclear on where the market's headed, right? That seems to be a, a major concern for okay, a lot of people. Okay, you're going to lose money. Um, the amount of work that goes into finding a property? It's going to be too much work. I don't know what I'm doing. Bad tenants? Yeah, i got to deal with tenants. No, I've heard all these nightmares about yeah. them. No, no tenants? Right, I'm going to lose money because I can't get it. Get the I I had that with my development. I'm I'm not going to have any tenants. I'm going to build a 20 unit apartment building and I won't be able to fill it. How'd that work out? Well, I was filled. <laughs> what about uh, what about things things about um, Rick? Like I'm just thinking uh, along the lines of I don't know what I'm doing. You know, just those everyday. You don't know a good mechanic. You don't know a good electrician or mechanic, a plumber. Uh, I should say, uh, just issues with the property that you're going to have to deal with. Well, I guess one of the things that happened with me w- with the development stuff was at one one point I realized looking around at planet earth that every single building on the entire planet was conceived designed financed built by somebody we are not talking about an impossible human achievement and finding a a plumber 
is not an impossible human achievement. You know, so what happens is you start to get a more realistic view of what's going on. What we have is we have a bunch of un- irrational fears that are keeping us from doing very practical, easy, simple steps. So, so Rick, like the one thing that, you know, we talk about, like, how do you, how do you eat an elephant one, one bite at a time kind of thing? What you're approaching this massive idea that you want to develop real estate, that you want to build an apartment building. Can you walk us through kind of, so once you get past all the things holding you back, what were kind of the initial steps that you took? Well, I was lucky because what, what happened for us was that we were working with a builder to, to find her, um, lots to build on. And then Sherry and I had, had created a plan for, you know, what kind of cash flow we wanted in retirement. And as a result of having done that about a week later, Sherry called the builder and said, you know, Hey, I'd like to talk to you about, about us owning an apartment building one day, because we, we had that as an aspiration for like five or 10 years down the road when we had some money, um, and the builder came back and said, well, why don't I just build you one? I can build one cheaper for you. Then you can buy one. And we went, uh, uh, okay. <laughs> and then I went into my head and had to work through all the reasons why I didn't want to do that. And how long you does know? it take? So when you go into your head and you, you look for your blind spots and then you walk through all these, you know, we just listed five or six reasons why you know you don't want to be a real estate investor does that take like for you uh like a week or a month or or is it an hour like how long are you sitting with these and kind of resting your own brain to the ground i mean my process i used to actually in the first two years that i came across this process of the work i spent um an hour or two uh, probably an hour every day, every single day for two years, working through my my you know garbage in my head, and there was lots of it. I mean, I got bats and spiders like you would believe. <laughs> so, um, you know, on this particular stuff where I'm figuring out what the blind spots are and working on those beliefs, usually that's about I don't know an hour or something per thought. Um, but on the on the building stuff, like the reasons why I didn't want to build, that was easily a couple of months where I was working on that. Not every day, but, but over time. Right. But I mean, look at the, look at the, you know, the results. I got a 20 unit building, a 30 unit building, I'm building a 63 unit building. And then I've got another three lots to build on now. So it's, it's, it's bizarre. It's, it's bizarre how to go from, you know, condos and houses to apartment buildings. To me, it's actually bizarre that I was able to do that. Yeah, you really figured out how to take your foot off the brake. Yeah. Well, and and one of the things that strikes me is, so some of the things are kind of nuts and bolts, right? Like, how do I find a plumber? Well, okay, like, yeah, you're right. We're not putting, we've put people on the moon, like, you can find a plumber. Uh, but how do you, how do you re- approach the unknowables? Like, stuff like, um, especially cause you're a real estate agent. So, uh, am I going to have enough income to service the debt? Uh, am I going to have the tenants, uh, is the market going to work in my favor? Like, how are you approaching those, those unknowables? Well, I'm, I'm a paranoid guy, so I tend to be fairly, um, you know, conservative with my approach to stuff. Um, as time goes on, I, I figure them, if the market's going up, there's, it's the closer it is to, to going down. 
you know, so the better off it is for the longer period of time, the more, the closer we are to a, a correction and things go up and down in the marketplace. So you have to be reasonable about it. Um, but, but the big thing is you have to get comfortable with not knowing. And what most people do, I think, and myself included, is that when we don't know, we fill in that, that gap with story, with imagined fears and consequences. And the, the better way to go, I think, is just to, to, to admit you don't know. Like, I mean, on a real estate deal as realtors, we deal with this all the time. Whenever you're in a condition period, we don't know if this deal is going to come together or not. So we just have to hang out and tell our clients, we don't know until they remove conditions. We don't know if this deal is going to go ahead. I feel like out of any, most professions we are in kind of an uncertain, living in it with uncertainty is probably Anyone something. in any market, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or anyone that works on, based on sales, right, is is in the same kind of boat. But you're right. There is kind of a accept, acceptance that, that comes along with it. Yeah, we, we, we have, we have no idea. Like, I don't know where my next clients are coming from per se. Um, but once you build a business and you have a database and people are giving you referrals and that sort of thing, Mm -hmm. it tends to, you know, have a certain level of, of activity. Right. I mean, and at the same time, for example, talking about what's going on in the marketplace, I mean, the government goes and introduces the spec tax and the foreign buyer tax and the vacancy tax and the this tax and the, and the, um, you know, the stress test and all this sort of stuff. And the market in Vancouver goes, right? And all of a sudden, the number of listings dropped dramatically. And what that's had, that's had a big impact on Victoria, because while we don't have foreign buyers here, we have offshore buyers from Vancouver. And if they can't sell their house on the west side of Canby and move here to downsize, um, that takes out a big chunk of our buying group. So um, yeah, we've, we've, you just got to adjust accordingly. Rick, I'm I'm kind of interested more so um, just moving back to uh, you know your experience in developing and kind of removing the obstacles that were in front of you. What about the skill sets that you have developed since removing those obstacles? Like, what are you kind of uh, most maybe most surprised by during this process? And um, what kind of is there a skill set that you've really learned to embrace or develop that you're you're kind of really excited about? Well, I think one of the things that's surprising is that um, I I kind of don't bat an eye now about buying a property that 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 could be used for future development, right? Like my my risk tolerance has gone up, um, uh, or maybe my confidence has gone up, and so I don't perceive risk in the same way. Because one, I mean, your your comfort zone is always expanding. Right. And so I think that's one of the things that's happened is that my comfort zone is much different than it used to be by virtue of having done something before. Mm -hmm. And like I'm running up against some some challenges right now with with the next development that I'm happening. And I'm 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 actually quite surprised that I'm not sweating it. You know, like in the past, I would be unbelievably stressed. Like I would not know what the heck to do, but now I just have a confidence that, you know, I'm going to figure it out. It's funny that you say that. Cause I, I was talking to a friend of mine who built a house recently. I'm currently in the midst of a build and uh, we were talking about that feeling of just hemorrhaging money 
at all times. Like every every forty five minutes, you get like a, an invoice for something, right? And often it's it's huge amounts of money. And he was saying that that was one of the the best things that kind of came out of his build is the ability to feel okay in the times where you're you're feel like you're going broke, right? And then also kind of managing cash flow in this way of making sure that you're, you, you know, you're always, you always feel like you're a moment away from potentially bankrupting a project. Yeah. I mean, on a, on a, on a building of the nature that we've been doing, uh, we have to sign personal guarantees. Um, there doesn't seem to be a way around that. So every time I do a building, it's kind of like putting, going all in with your chips in a poker game. <laughs> right. And, and it's like, uh, okay, I'm all in again. Okay. And as you build up and, and here's one of the things that happens as a result of that is that the more you have, the more you have to lose and the less risk tolerance you have, you, you tend to have. So it really becomes a, a quandary after a while, which is why people who have a lot are more worried about what they have to lose than what they have to gain. And people that don't have a lot are, you know, have nothing to lose mm-hmm. and go for it. So it's an interesting kind of a transition that happens over time. That you get more comfortable with your bets, but you're taking bigger bets. Well, and and you have more to lose, so you start to question whether or not you want to make that big bet. Right? Like, it just becomes, how much is enough? Do I need to build another apartment building? Right, right. Well, one question I have for you, Rick, is, is presumably you could have uh, built strata properties as well. Um, on those potentially on those sites, or looked for other sites, and not built purpose-built rental, but built condos that you could sell. Um, yeah. Why did you go the in the direction of purpose-built rental? Uh, first of all, because the vacancy rate was so low here; it was like at one point point five percent. Right. Um, second, that was what our builder was building. She was specializing in that. Um, and so I was getting on that train. She was the per- first person in Langford to start building purpose-built rentals in the core of Langford. Um, secondly, uh, we were looking for cash flow, you know, as, as a retirement income. Um, and selling condos is, you know, you're having to sell the condo to get the, um, the profit. And, and on a condo development, your, your profit is always in the last few sales. So if you're stuck with one unit or two units, um, you know, that's where all your profit lies. So I, I was, um, yeah, much more interested in, and the nice thing about a purposeful rental is they're big enough that you're not property managing this thing yourself. You know, you hire a professional manager. So it doesn't end up being as onerous, uh, from a, from a time standpoint, um, as, as you would expect if you were doing it yourself. And, and so if I understand you're, you kind of took on one apartment complex of 20 doors and you've since moved uh into building numerous apartment buildings are you holding them all like are you just building up a massive portfolio well i i mean i might take a few um uh chips off the table Uh you know if i could sell sell some and then and then park some dough because again you know mr conservative um, you know, I'll, I might take that opportunity, but it just depends on it. If I can get a buyer at the right price. Um, I, I don't know that if I would want to be a landlord in, in 
in 10 or 20 years with those buildings um, because the law, again, the longer you hold the, they're brand new right now. So they've got nothing wrong with them, but right. over time, you know, they require more money and that sort of thing. And there's an interesting thing with apartment buildings that I've just learned recently, which is the cash flow on these things is actually not that great. Not out of the gate. That's disappointing. <laughs> um, it, it, it requires them to be, um, you know, stabilized over time. And and that can take you know you get you get fantastic mortgage paydown, but you don't realize that mortgage paydown um, uh, in in the cash flow in the first years. Mm -hmm. So um, you know from that standpoint, it was actually kind of a you know it was not what I was expecting per se in terms of um, and like property taxes, <laughs> like the you're talking about big bills that come in. Oh my God. You know, like a sixty-four thousand dollar property tax bill. Wow. Yeah. It's like, huh? <laughs> That's enough to put pump the brake a bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so let's try one. I don't want to pay my. I don't want to pay a sixty-four thousand dollar property tax. Yeah, bill. yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, granted, the cash flow is such that it pays for the property taxes, but right, you sure. know those things are all going up. And this is the other thing that's happening in this market, right? The the costs of construction have gone up. The development cost charges are going up. Everything's going up. Inflation's going up. So so the the game is not as 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 slam dunk as it was when we started in 2014. Right. You know, it's a bit of a different uh, uh, animal now. So I think um, developers are probably going to move a little bit more towards um, uh, condos as we go forward. And there's still a huge shortage of affordable rentals, which needs to be addressed. No question about that. And so I'm looking at ways that I can, I can make that happen. So Rick, have your fears or your, the obstacles uh, changed since you, since you started this process and are you kind of continuously running yourself through your own process there? Yeah. Yeah. They've changed and, and you just get new fears, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it, it does not, in my brain, it doesn't stop yeah. or hasn't stopped. Right. You know, I just get new ones, you know, like, um, you know, the building's going to fall over, you know, the, the, I don't know, it just doesn't stop. Right. Yeah. So, so I just have to do my, you know, use my process to, um, to deal with those fears as they, as they come up. Right. But it's just a, so, so the, the, what, what is stopping you, um, approach is, is not one in which you can, you can learn it and deal with your kind of, like I said before, wrestle your brain to the ground and then be golden. This is a, sounds like this is a every morning type continuous process that is never ending well I, I mean i don't think that like i used it twice to great effect you know once to write books and one to once to build apartment buildings where where there is a, a in my opinion there was a huge shift in my ability to move forward you know i was not writing books and then i did you know i wrote the what is stopping you text in just a few days um, which is a huge difference from years and years of trying to write books. Um, I, I did end up writing the, the the 18 Holes to Your Goals book right after that. So that was done as well. So clearly it wasn't just a one-off. You know, I was able to to continue it. And then I also wrote a um, a, a chapter in Ozzy Jurek's Real Estate Action 2.0, where I talk about, 
using the system for the for the apartment building problem. Um, that was a clear application, and then the application of of um, being able to go get over my fears around the apartment building stuff. My next thing now is doing YouTube. You know, I'm I've got all the equipment, I've got you know background in television and all that sort of stuff, and I want to ramp up doing uh, YouTube videos, and I've got some bats in the belfry about that. So I, <laughs> you know, r- write down my reasons why I don't want to be a YouTube star. Or <laughs> yeah, well, one of the reasons I think is YouTube commenters seem to be more vicious than commenters on any other <laughs> yeah. platform. Yeah, I don't want to be criticized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but criticized one of the things that's interesting. Yeah, one of the things that was interesting about the the What Is Stopping You book that I found afterwards with regard to that very thing about not wanting to be criticized is that you can't be liked by everybody. You can't. Yeah. And you're actually doing something wrong, I think, if you're liked by everybody, because then you're, you know, I don't know, you're just being a people pleaser. Um, in reality, the, the the fans that you get or the support that you get or the people that are into what you are offering, whether it's a podcast or a book or, or whatever, um, that's your audience. And, and the people that aren't your audience, aren't your audience. And that's okay. It's like, you don't have to write, you don't have to like my book. Mm -hmm. No, that's a, and that's a freeing kind of idea. That's for sure. Um, maybe just as a final, a final question for you, Rick, you know, you mentioned that uh, with all the new taxes and and really how that's impacted Vancouver and that has kind of a spin-off effect to the island and Victoria and, and Langford where you work as well, uh, just outside of Victoria. Can you talk a little bit about the market over there right now? Like how's how's Victoria doing? Are you excited about the future? What do you see in the next little bit? It sounds like you have some uh, sites under development, so you, you you must be somewhat bullish, but curious to hear your thoughts. Well, we've been, um, I think the big thing to remember about Victoria is that we were flat as a market from 2007 to 2015. And then our market took off like crazy in the fall of 2015 until the summer of 2017, when it started to slow again because of the introduction of the foreign buyer tax in Vancouver and that sort of thing. During the time when we took off, where our market went up about Two hundred and fifty to three hundred thousand dollars for you know in terms of the the price of a house, um, you know you were basically going from about five hundred five fifty to eight hundred r- roughly. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, in terms of the benchmark price or the average price, that was a huge increase. It's like about a 40 percent increase in 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 the price of houses here over a, a essentially a two year period. So it was a big increase. But if you look at what happened in Vancouver, the west side of Vancouver went up $242,000 in the month of May 2015 alone, or 2016. Um, so, so they went up in a month what we went up in two years. So I think we have um, a lot of downside protection here mm-hmm. because you know w- w- we're still on sale compared to Vancouver. We're still a fraction of the price of a house of Vancouver um, and we'll continue to, to attract people. The, the main thing about Victoria is we're at the end of the rainbow. Like, where do you go once you move to Victoria? And that's why our inventory is so low. Our inventory is about 22, 2300 properties on the market right now. And the average normally over a 10 year span is about 4,000. Mm. 
So we're about 60% of the inventory, mostly because nobody wants to move from here. Nobody's putting their mark, uh, house on the market to, to, to go somewhere else because right. where would you go? So I think the big attraction of Victoria is that, you know, we've got fantastic weather. Um, uh, everybody wants to actually be here as opposed to this being a terrific place to invest. I mean, we don't get good cash flow here compared to some other regions in Canada, for example, as a real estate investor. But the vacancy rate is, you know, 1.2%, 1.5% right now. It's almost impossible to find a rental. Mm-hmm. It's becoming a little easier, but it's it's very difficult. And people are concerned that they'll find a, the house that they want to uh, move to if they put their house on the market first and then buy. They have no guarantee they're going to find what they like. So they're, they're, they're not pulling the trigger from that standpoint. Right, right. Now, very interesting. So, Rick, um, we've got this, got this segment uh, called the Five Wire that we do for Vancouver, but we'd we'd love to have you do the Victoria version if you'll stick around for that. Okay, perfect. Uh, so, question number one: What is your favorite neighborhood in Victoria? Well, I live in the in the hillside area, um, which has one of the biggest bookstores in in Victoria, Boland Books. Um, and so that's, I've kind of bought a lot of property over time in, in this neighborhood. Um, so that's, that's one of my favorites and, and it's a favorite because I can get to just about every soccer park in Victoria in about 15 minutes. You mentioned I in your book, you play a lot of soccer. Yeah. 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 Is, and well, switching gears, but you're, cause you're, is it your father that's from, uh, from Europe originally? Yeah. My dad was, uh, uh, born in Harlem, in uh, just outside of Amsterdam, and uh, so and he actually went to the World Cup in 1974 to watch a couple of games when Holland was in there with Cruyff and those guys. No kidding! Wow. Uh, question two: Favorite bar or restaurant? I would say Pagliacci's, which I don't go to now because I'm not eating so much pasta. But the pasta there was is is fantastic and i used to eat lunch there just about every day when my office was across the street pagliacci's is on broad street in downtown victoria do you ever order using your pacino impression oh wouldn't that be fantastic (laughs) i'll have the rigatoni (laughs) i had to to get that in there <laughs> that was Matt. That was not Rick. That was Matt. And it wasn't as good. <laughs> okay. Question three. Uh, question three. Um Downtown Penthouse or oh, Oak Bay you? Mansion? Okay, yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, definitely I would take the Oak Bay Mansion. I think that's most definitely what I would do. <laughs> Sean Connery, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> let, let me ask you, Arnold, where do you bring someone from out of town, the first place you bring them? Hey, you know, what are you going to do? First of all, you know, you hop in my car, and then we're going to go on a little tour. We're going to go around down to, you know, James Bay, and we're going to go see where the cruise ships come in. We're going to go along Beach Avenue and out to Dallas Road, and, and then we're going to go all over. And I'm going to show you how fantastic Victoria is, because, you know, it's fantastic. <laughs> Uh, final question christopher walken what is something you've bought for under 500 dollars that has had a positive impact on your life well you know the difficulty that i used to have when i boiled eggs 
is that sometimes these eggs would crack and the, then the, and the white from the egg would leak into the water and it drove me nuts. So what I did is I purchased this little thing that's white and yellow and is shaped like an egg and it's got a punch in it. It's got a little needle. And I put the egg on this thing and it depresses, the yolk depresses, and it creates a little pinhole prick inside the egg. And when I put those eggs in the water, they never leak again. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Mr. Humphrey Bogert, how can we find out more about Rick Hugendern's book and uh, how to find it? I see now. Uh, if you, uh, if you uh, email me, Chalk one at Shaw.ca. Uh, that's C H O C one at Shaw.ca. I'd be happy to uh, connect you with a book. <laughs> and, uh, hey, Rick, Rick, can you tell can you tell me that again? Uh, sorry, you got. I only do it once. <laughs> no, come on, Rick. You've got to tell me. Was it Chalk one at Shaw.ca? Was that it? Come on, Rick. Tell me again, please. <laughs> Uh, Ogante, I think you need to take your match. <laughs> well, well th thanks for your time, uh, Kermit the Frog. Hey, no problem. Was there some kind of uh, a uh, competition we were going to do here? <laughs> Absolutely not. After hearing this, there's no oh, no com competition happening. Matt, 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 bring out the Kermit. Come on. I I, I don't. Uh, I no. I can't, I literally can't. After <laughs> after that, I'm starstruck. Why are there so many? Signs about real estate and where you should all invest. <laughs> oh, man. Well, thank you so much for your time, Rick. And uh, that was a fantastic episode. And uh, yeah, we learned a lot. And we will, of course, link to, um, uh, we'll put your uh, email address for people who are looking for the book. And uh, yeah, thanks again. All right. Yeah, th th enjoyed it. Thanks, Rick. I, uh, Man, those impressions. Pretty good. Pretty good stuff. <laughs> Pretty good stuff. <laughs> Have hey, a great day. You know, this was a fantastic time. It was a very, you know, a useful uh, period of time in my life. I enjoyed it immensely. It's fantastic. Thank you. Hey, and don't forget, next week or the week after, there's going to be another Scalina podcast. You've got to tune in. Don't be idiots. <laughs> So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Rick Hugendorn, author, realtor, developer from Vancouver Island, uh, situated in Victoria. And uh, yeah, that was a fantastic conversation. Really enjoyed talking to Rick, Matt, and maybe one of my favorite five wires of all time. Got to talk to so many Why celebrities. Why are there so many songs about rainbows? What is that? Is that? Hang on a second. Was, <laughs> Hold on. I'm was doing... that? Was that uh, Humphrey Bogart doing Kermit? What what was that? Hey Pluto! Hey Pluto! That's my Mickey Mouse. That's, I got one more bad. for you. That's not bad. Like Zoink Scoob, it's like a monster. Oh, that's that's pretty good. Was that uh that was uh Shaggy? That was my Humphrey Scoob. Bogart. <laughs> <laughs> that was Shaggy from Scooby Doo, right? Shaggy from Scooby Doo, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, but but Rick is is a, on a different level. 
All right. But uh, what else do we got before we cut for the day? We got the VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. That is our website. Head over there uh, if you want stats, if you want updated news, if you want a mobile app, which is actually, I, I was actually, we haven't talked about it, but we've had a ton of people sign up for the mobile app in the last week and it is still available. So head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for all that. We also have tried and true private client services. Yes, Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. It's basically realtor level information. It's at your fingertips for free on our site. And we got to say, we helped them out with beta testing many years ago. It is the best service out there. And uh, we're so happy we did because we've tried all the other search engines. And if you're looking for real estate in Vancouver, this is the absolute best one. So sign up for your free account. If you're not using private client services to search Vancouver real estate, you're doing it wrong. And I think that's it for the day, Adam. I think that's it for the day. So, Matt, how can people get in touch with you? Well, don't be an idiot. No, just joking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> give, give, give me a call at any time, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also got that secret Scalina line at info at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com. And, uh, oh, of course, you, of course, you, he, that was the, I was saving my, my only impression of the show was going to be secret. <laughs> Anyways, you'll, you'll, you'll save them on that one for the day. Anyways, guys, have a great week and we'll see you next Wednesday. All right. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca.
Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020.